Welcome back. Our guest today is someone whose work really hits close to home for me. Amy Mumberkett is a social worker with extensive experience of working with marginalized inner city population. She's passionate about creating safe environments for her clients, as well as a strong advocate for unique housing programs, harm reduction initiatives, and treating everybody with respect. I'm excited to hear about her story and what drives her. Thanks for joining us on another episode of An Inside Look. I'm very excited to have the opportunity to interview Amy Mumberkett. Amy is a social worker that has worked in a variety of addiction and mental health uh, housing initiatives. She's extremely passionate about creating long-lasting relationships and creating a safe environment for her clients. Thanks for joining us today, Amy. Thanks. Uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so um, I started social work probably about nine or ten years ago. Um, I graduated from Grant McEwen and then also uh, went to the University of Calgary to get my degree. And um, I initially, first job right out of the gate was actually with um, the Royal Alps Psychiatry Unit. So dived right into that and that kind of is where I developed most of my passion around mental health and addictions. Um, and since then I've been working mostly in housing in the community setting um, with around harm reduction or um, dealing with individuals who have complex trauma, mental health and addictions. Excellent. So just kind of taking a step back from the beginning, when you were in school, what were your passions and aspirations at that point? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I initially didn't really know. I actually initially went into corrections. Mm -hmm. I really wanted to be a parole officer for some reason, but um, I took a year off and actually traveled around Canada and did a lot of volunteer work. So that opened my eyes to more of the helping profession side of things. Mm -hmm. um, and with that, um, I chose to go into social work instead. So um, with that, I went to George Spady as, as one of my first practicums, and I think that was what kind of started the ball rolling. Oh, I see. Okay. And uh, so George Spady is a detox facility in the inner city of Edmonton. Uh, what sort of stuff did you do there that kind of brought you, brought that inspiration? Yeah, initially, I, like, I come from a very, uh, I would say, white, middle class um, area growing up. So it was a huge, <laughs> huge learning curve for me. I actually asked my professor, I was like, I want you to just throw me into something that I'm not familiar with, not comfortable with. Um, and he picked the George Spade Detox Center. So there I would help with um, treatment applications as well as like helping individuals get connected to the systems of the community. Um, but mostly it kind of opened my eyes on how difficult connecting people into um, this is our system or many systems were. Um, so that kind of drove my passions into further career options. Mm -hmm. um, I myself just kind of got into working with the inner city population and population I mental health issues, lots of addictions, lots of homelessness. Probably say nine months ago, actually I guess a year ago at this point. And it was a huge shock for me at that, at that stage. Uh, what were your first reactions as, as a person who said kind of came from a middle class family and, and first thrown into this pot? To work with these individuals, what did you feel like? Um, what was your reaction? I thought I'd be a little bit more uncomfortable, but I think when you just see them as as just regular humans, yeah. just like us, um, it just made the transition a little bit easier, and, yeah. and just kind of opening your mind on how much they can actually teach you. Mm -hmm. um, so, if anything, I learned more than I could have ever taught them. So, yeah. um, I'm really grateful for actually starting at the detox and then working my way mm -hmm. through the other systems. 
And sort of alluding a little bit to that, I think, unfortunately, um, out in general public, there's a lot of misconceptions, a lot of uh, prejudice that comes uh, people don't think the wrong things about the population that we work with. Mm -hmm. uh, do you ever have to face that in your job? Yeah, I, I always try to think like everyone is one life event away from being in their situation. Um, so keeping that in the back of my mind really humanizes kind of every interaction that I have with people. Um, and just kind of attempting to put myself maybe into their shoes um, to see, I don't know if it would, I don't, I don't know, it's a, well, I was wondering about that, I don't know. Yeah. No, it is, it, is a, it is kind of a different thought. The, the way that I started thinking, very similar to what you were just saying, is just one event away. I remember I also had a, a patient, a client that, that I saw during one of my rotations where unfortunately just had one terrible event happen to them in childhood mm -hmm. that turned their whole life around and just led them down the wrong path. And I was thinking there's absolutely nothing that could have prevented me from, not from maybe having the same event in yeah. my life turning around that way as well. Um, so, sort of switching gears a little bit then, uh, what do you do now? What is your position now? So right now, I'm a social worker at a new harm reduction permit supportive site. Okay. So that's operated by E4C, and then they've contracted with Alberta Health Services to provide the in-reach um, mental health services. So um, I'm one of four, so we have a pretty robust team over there. I, I partnered with um, an occupational therapist and peer support worker, um, as well as a nurse. Mm -hmm. So we provide that on-site care. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so what does your day-to-day -day look like then? Uh, right now, um, since it's a brand new site, my day-to-day -day is kind of looking at all of the applications that come my way. So it speaks to the, the need, especially for permanent supportive housing in Edmonton. So right now, I think we just hit 100 applications and we've only had it open for maybe a couple months. Um, so yeah, it's definitely a need that needs to be filled. But my job is to basically review the application and see whether or not um, we have the capacity to manage um, the individuals who are being referred to us. Um, and then also providing housing consultation. So if there's another housing opportunity that might better fit their needs, then that's my job to kind of make sure that I have a good understanding of the other places mm -hmm. in Edmonton and connecting them that way. That, while well, the, the number of applications really sort of speaks to the need that's out there for, for these facilities. Uh, and I'm sure that in your position, you'll have to look at many applications and Obviously, a lot of them have to be rejected. Um, how does that how does that make you feel when you can't quite make the person have a place to stay? Have have that good? Yeah, I think um, a lot of people don't realize how emotionally taxing that can be to constantly be having those conversations of um, just no, we can't house them right now, or not at all, mm -hmm. or um, there's really been an identified gap of just a group of people that there's no housing for. Um, and to have those conversations, not only with the referral source, but also with that individual to say, like, yes, you need housing, but we have nothing for you. So mm -hmm. the streets is kind of where it's at right now, or the shelter system. So mm -hmm. it is, it's absolutely emotionally uh, taxing yeah. to, to constantly do that. So how do, you, how do you kind of separate yourself from that? from that emotionally taxing component? To, to be honest, some days I do and some days I don't. I think um, people always preach, you know, you gotta leave your work at home and you gotta kind of draw that fine line, but I don't always feel that's realistic. Mm -hmm. um, you try and have a really human interaction or human experience with somebody else, so I think it's it's not always easy. So yeah, if, if sometimes it comes home with you, I feel that's kind of the name of the game in, in some ways. Mm -hmm. um, you try your best, obviously, to 
kind of learn self-care and do things that kind of help you get your mind off work when you leave, but mm -hmm. um, there's no doubt that, that that carries along with you. Yeah. Um, one question that, that kind of came up my mind um, in general working with marginalized population is due to my own experience as well, unfortunately sometimes people don't always appreciate all the work that you put into sometimes helping them out. Have you ever faced that and how do you how did you overcome that? Yeah, I don't know. I I always like to think you just ride the wave with them. And like you go through the ups and the downs and sometimes they appreciate it, sometimes they don't. But at the end of the day if you know that you're putting hundred percent towards that, um, that's all that really matters. And for us to go into this line of work thinking that we're going to get a pat on the back every day, I think it's really unrealistic. Um, and it's not re really a reason why people should go into this line of work. Um, so yeah, no, it's, it, it happens, but it's not, it doesn't really uh, affect me too much. Yeah, yeah. okay. Well, that's, that's very true. Um, so based, based on what you just said then, uh, for people that do go in this sort of line of work, what do you think it takes to be a good social worker working in with marginalized population? Hmm. I, I really truly think before you jump into this that you have to do your due diligence and volunteer mm -hmm. and really feel or get a sense of kind of what you're getting yourself into. Mm -hmm. um, some people go into this line of work because they have their own past traumas or they want to work through some own, their own personal things in their lives. Um, but getting a handle on that I think prior to, to helping other people out um, mm -hmm. could be beneficial. Mm -hmm. not, not saying that's the right choice for everybody. Um, but yeah, really doing your homework as well. Um, and I think it's a lot of like self-reflection before you get into this line of work. What are your triggers? What are things that you need to work on? Are these, there things that are going to happen in your line of work that, um, I don't know, that, what can I say, would impact yeah. other people maybe? Um, so yeah, I think you have to do your homework for sure. Mm -hmm. So what sort of volunteering did you do? I know you said that you took a year off and you did some volunteering. Yeah, traveling. nine months off. <laughs> I traveled through Canada. So I did, um, I went to the military base. So I did a lot of like parent and top programs. So um, I kind of got an understanding of their life and what the struggles that a military family would have to go through and how uh, difficult it is for the women actually of the, of the military and how they have to take care of the kids. So I did a lot of um, work with that as well as um, the other one I did was more kindergarten program as well. And it's interesting because youth isn't my forte and I kind of prefer working with adults. So um, it was good to do that. So mm -hmm. I knew I didn't really necessarily want to go into that um, as my career. Yeah. But I also took, um, I also was able to go six months traveling as well and do two months in Tanzania. So I was able to um, help them build a school out there in Arusha. Oh, excellent. So it yeah. sounds like you did all sorts of things that are related as well as completely not related yeah. to your uh, to your field. Yeah. Um, do you have any interesting stories throughout your time volunteering that you've kind of picked up? An interesting any interesting ones? Sorry, any interesting stories or anything of that sort? Mm. Something that you think might carry, that you carry forward, that you learned? Um, probably the biggest thing around just traveling in general is understanding cultural diversity and how mm. that plays into kind of the human interactions that you have with people on a daily. Um, people just come from all walks of life and just trying really hard to understand their perspective before you judge. Um, probably was the biggest thing that I, that I took away from that. Mm -hmm. And I know, and I'm sure you learn a lot more about yourself as well. And then something you mentioned earlier is it's important to self-reflect and know what your, your triggers are and what may affect your job as well as the people that you will be serving. Uh, this might be sort of a difficult, maybe personal question, but what triggers you then? <laughs> hmm. 
What have you identified in yourself that? Um, I think it's when you have kind of maybe more people requiring your assistance than you can manage. Mm -hmm. um, I would say kind of escalates my stress level a little bit. Yeah. Um, I really like to kind of give my full attention to individuals when I work with them, mm -hmm. so it's hard to kind of be pulled in in multiple directions. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that, that's kind of hard to deal with. Yeah. Yeah, on a daily. And unfortunately, that's the nature of the beast as well when it comes down to the industry. You just have to deal with so many things all at once. So with, with the stress that comes in with it, how do you deal with it? Hmm. Um, how do you unwind? Uh, well, I go, like I like going to the gym. I, I'm pretty social, so I like to hang out with my friends. Um, and, you know, just take time for myself, whether it's going to farmer's markets or just enjoying Edmonton in general. Mm -hmm. um, I like being active as well. So anything that kind of gets my mind and kind of releases stress in a different way, mm -hmm. um, that's what I like to do. Excellent. Um, now, uh, do you have any interesting stories or something that really, that, that has happened in your career that has really kind of stuck with you to this day? Um, I think like focusing on housing in general, mm -hmm. I think it's good to note on how long it takes to actually house someone who mm -hmm. may be experiencing chronic homelessness. Um, I was brought, uh, an, like an individual requested that I help them with housing. He's been experiencing homelessness for about seven years. Um, so I initially met him probably, what, two, almost two and a half years ago. Um, and it was a pharmacy that brought it to my attention that, you know, he doesn't have any coverage for his medications and we really need him to, to get on these meds as, um, I think they're his antiretrovirals. So just some important medications that, that needed to be um, given to him. So I take my engagement very slowly, but yet very intentionally, um, because I feel you need to develop that relationship in order to kind of meet the needs of the individual, um, as well as understand them in, in their entirety. So I can kind of bring you along the story of how he eventually got housed. Um, but so I would meet him at the pharmacy and I would just, just talk about the process of getting um, medication coverage and really getting him prepared to, to face the next day when we would actually go to the center to get the coverage. So explaining and that's my job i feel that's our job is to really know the systems mm -hmm. well enough to make sure that they feel comfortable and prepared mm -hmm. uh, to enter that situation so i went and met with him and had a casual conversation brought him a coffee and said you know what this is what we're going to expect tomorrow this is how much time it's going to take these are the questions you're going to be asked um, this is the environment that you're going to be brought into um, there may be judgment, there may be um, people that are triggering to you in that space. So really giving him a good understanding of what he's getting into. Um, and then the next day, he had to stay at a, at a shelter. He stayed at the Hope Mission the night before. So um, I lined up and I said, I'm going to be there at 745 and I really want you to join me for this because um, I think it's important. And, and also letting him know like people care about you and I think this is really good for your health at the end of the day. So um, I gave him that that invitation and I said I'm going to be there give me your coffee order and we're going to get it done mm -hmm. so eight o'clock rolls around and he still wasn't there and I was like okay here we go like that's that's fine we'll just try to get another day um, but sure, sure as heck he comes down at like 805 groggy just stumbling from like the hope mission um, and so we lined up and it was about overall a five-hour process mm -hmm. to get him um, medication coverage so I think if we also have to, I think, understand or have some realistic expectations of what we're asking people to do before mm -hmm. we actually get them to do it. Yeah. 
Um, I think that also speaks to somehow when we get frustrated, we're like, oh, well, I told him to do this 10 times and he still didn't do it. Well, yeah. do you have you ever sat through getting medication coverage at the city center mm -hmm. Alberta Works place? Yeah. It's not always easy. So, um, yeah, I think preparing him really helped him for that. But he was able, he left a couple times, came back, but we were able to sit through it and, and get him that coverage. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the, the first point of when our relationship built. He knew I was there for him and I showed up for him. Yeah. Um, so along that time, he kept coming to my work and checking in and some days were good and some days were really bad and he would just come in and yell at me and leave. Mm -hmm. And that's okay, I'm just happy that he kept coming. Mm -hmm. I didn't care what state he was yeah. really in. So um, that kind of went on for about a year. Um, he later was incarcerated um, and then was released after that and one of his workers um, reached out to me again because he, he knew, or she knew that he had a good relationship mm -hmm. with me, saying, you know what, I think this is the perfect time to try and try this whole housing thing again. Mm -hmm. um, so once again, I met him and we talked about housing and I really gave him a lot of information and a lot of choice in, his, um, in where he would like to go. I wasn't there to pressure him. Mm -hmm. I'm a huge fan of choices and giving him all the knowledge he needs to yeah. he needs to have to make his own decision. Mm -hmm. um, with that, he uh, he eventually picked like a couple housing initiatives that you know that I felt would be appropriate for him, and he was willing to accept. So we did those applications, um, and then I I sporadically checked in on him throughout those months. So if it wasn't meeting him at the pharmacy, it was meeting him at the clinic. It was just touching base with one of his workers, just hey, how's he how's it going? How's he doing? Um, so eventually his name came up with one of the housing um, initiatives and I connected with him at the pharmacy where he would go to every morning like clockwork. And he, um, I was like, you know what, this is an opportunity, do you want to take it? And he said absolutely, so we did the intake um, and got him into transitional housing. So that's a three month stay. Yeah. So then we had to get him permanent housing. Um, and that was another six six months, I think it was, before wow. from application to actually getting housed. So um, I just found out a couple weeks ago that he got his own place. Wow, that's own, excellent. Yeah, his own apartment, everything's good. But out of everything, all that was over two years to get one individual permanently housed. Yeah. Um, it speaks to how much time it takes. It speaks to how disconnected our systems are. Mm -hmm. It speaks to how much advocacy one individual or several individuals have to mm -hmm. have to have in order to make this happen. Um, yeah, and it speaks to kind of the power of relationship and how, how far that can really take you uh, with helping an individual out. Yeah, it's that's incredible. That it sounds like you really went above and beyond, but at the same time, you did what you're meant to do, and that's what you're supposed to do, and that's. That's incredible to me because well, one of the things that, that I really picked up from that story is just I think people really need support and need that somebody, like you mentioned, to care for them. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of individuals that we work with simply have nobody, nobody to lean against. So they, they may make the wrong decisions or they may not know what to do because they have nobody else to support them. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's, it's great to hear that he is now housed and he's got his own place coming up. Mm -hmm. Do you still keep in contact with him at all? I do. He gave me, he gave me a call the day he was moving out. So yeah. he said, you know what, like, this, I, I, hope I, I hope I see you, but I hope I don't at yeah. the end of the day because, um, I don't know, I think I, he's just an individual that, like you said, like, just needed a lot of, a lot of support yeah. and, and he was eventually able to kind of advocate for himself mm -hmm. and, and use his own empowerment to, to find a place. Yeah. So. yeah, and you help him empower himself, yeah. Yep. And and over the two years, you you become like family as well. You I'm sure that you've gotten to know all the ins and outs of 
of his mood, of the way he is, of absolutely everything about him. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned, and obviously because it took two years, you mentioned that the system is disconnected. The system is uh, not very efficient at doing these things. What do you think we're lacking right now in terms of, uh, of making things a little bit smoother? I think it's like just sharing information. I think we um, we don't really understand on how actually re-traumatizing it is for individuals to have to constantly share the same information or share very personal information about themselves in order to get a similar um, like service. Mm -hmm. um, I think we need to connect our systems a little bit better so they're not having to repeat themselves um, and answer the same questions. Um, I think we also have to do a better job of networking. Mm -hmm. I think we stay in our little silos or our little uh, kind of groups of where we work mm -hmm. um, and don't really reach out as much as we should. Mm -hmm. So for myself as a pharmacist, what would you have, what advice would you have for me working with a similar population mm -hmm. to try to help them, maybe not even when it comes to housing, but just understanding them a little more better? Um, I think it's all, it's always about building community mm -hmm. within your pharmacy and, and outside of your pharmacy. So what are, what are the other big kind of areas or the other services that your guys are accessing? Mm -hmm. Is it the shelters? Is it the doctor's office? Is it the police? Um, beat cops? Mm -hmm. it, it, it's building those relationships so those conversations can be can happen quicker and um, the information can be accurate. Mm -hmm. um, it's probably the biggest, mm -hmm. the biggest thing that I would recommend for anyone really in the community. It's mm -hmm. just building community within and without. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's, that's really good advice and I think that it's something that we try to do as much as possible. Obviously there are a lot of barriers to that, but I think we're becoming better and better at making community within the community and helping the individuals out. Um, and the stories like you, you shared is a fantastic success story, uh, but there's obviously a whole different side of it as well. There are, we see a lot of stories that, essentially failure stories of things that happened that did not go as planned. Did you do you have any memorable, uh, challenging situations that you faced or altercations that you had with uh, any patients or clients of yours? Yeah, uh, kind of like on the daily, and I just yeah. I don't know. You just ride the wave with them. Like yeah. that's how I, I like to view my job. Like everyone has good days and bad days, and mm -hmm. um, if I had to kind of go through go through a day in the life of them, I would probably be reacting the same way. Mm -hmm. So. Um, nothing that really like sticks out. Um, I think my biggest frustration is is around um, the lack of of permanent supportive housing um, that that deals with just the chronically homeless and a lot of um, individuals who have like the physical and the medical um, concerns. Um, and I don't think I think we're getting close, but we're not quite there with really offering um, a lot of harm reduction options for people within their housing. Mm -hmm. Have you seen, obviously our society is trying to move a lot more towards harm reduction strategies and I think Edmonton has done really well with that as well as Vancouver and it was kind of leading the way as well. Um, have you seen a lot of benefit with that, with the clients that you work with? Yeah, I think, I think one of the major things that you usually see on an application is evicted 10 times due to drug use or due to guest management or due to violence and, and usually that, that kind of stems from, from substance use in yeah. some ways. Um, so it's really kind of getting at the root of the problem. Um, and I think harm reduction is usually, we usually talk about harm reduction in the sense that it's always drug related or it's always alcohol related. And I used to, I like to view it in all aspects of their life. Like how can we do, reduce harm in general to their life? That could be um, teaching them how to properly take their medication. That could be 
teaching them how to get on the bus to attend a psychiatrist appointment. That could be, look at so many ways if they're in the sex trade, how do you have those conversations with those individuals to kind of reduce the harm when they go out? Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, I just kind of like to use it in all aspects. Mm -hmm. So how do you teach individuals that sometimes may not be ready to, uh, to, start, to start their journey to harm reduction and start their journey to, to stop some of the behaviors that have been toxic to their life? Yeah, I think it's just, it's just constantly having that in the back of their mind and in, inviting them to have a conversation about it. They may not accept the invitation and that's totally cool. Um, but just like asking them, hey, do you want to learn a little bit more on how to reduce harm? Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not telling you to stop and, and coming at it from the most non-judgmental place that you can. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just, I just always have that conversation. Hey, I know a lot about harm reduction. Is that something you're interested in? Mm-hmm. Um, using actual examples of, like, I know you're an IV user. Do you want to, like, do you just want to clean needle? Or do we need the locks on kit? Or different way, like informal ways of kind of just broaching that conversation. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's really, really good advice. Um, and then just kind of being on that point of, um, of the inner city in general, um, I know this might be kind of a difficult question, but it's one that I've been asking myself a lot as of late, uh, just kind of thinking overall is, what do you think is the main issue that's plaguing our inner city? Yeah, that's a loaded question. Um, there's a lot of things that I think people associate um, that's negative with the inner city. Uh, usually people, the, the concentration of uh, individuals who are marginalized is usually around those inner city areas. So uh, homelessness and substance use and people usually associate like crime rates with that. Um, but I think, I think the major thing is, huh, how do I put this? <laughs> how do I put this nicely? Um, you can put it on nicely, that's, that's completely <laughs> fine. I think it's uh, the lack of education around around the population and and that they are humans just like us and they deserve just as much care and attention as anyone else does. Um, I think there's opportunity for growth and, and understanding in the inner city and um, I don't know, I think we, we can, I think the one thing that people forget about the inner city is how much of a community they are, um, how much they look out for each other, how much they care about each other. Um, and people don't necessarily see that, that kind of sparkle in that, in the inner city with that. Um, they mostly look at the negative. So then, just ending off the whole discussion about the inner city, if you would say that there's one thing that we as a society and we as, as the government, as the practitioners practicing there, could do to, to improve the lives of individuals in an inner city and marginalized population, what do you think that we could do? Hmm. Once again, I know it's a really difficult question. Yeah, I think it's just giving them time. Like they just need to, giving them our time to kind of, ex- I don't know, get to build relationships with them and get to know them as people, other than and not getting to know them as clients or knowing them as patients, but just as people. Um, I think is like the first step in really, in really working towards um, kind of bettering that that area, but. Um, and also helping, like, uh, getting their point of view. I think the government makes a lot of um, decision-making up top, but I think we're forgetting that the people who need to be making those decisions and having the biggest voice are the ones receiving those services. So I would encourage kind of decision-makers to be asking the people mm-hmm. in the shelters and, and um, who are homeless and who are accessing all these um, social programs to really have a voice and to, to explain what's, what are the gaps and what is a better way to engage them or a better way to provide that service. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, sort of transitioning from from the somewhat heavy subject of the inner city and the marginalized populations, and focusing a little bit more on yourself. Um, 
So outside of being an excellent social worker, what else do you do? <laughs> what else do you like to do? What, what are you passionate about? Um, I'm passionate about, like, I, I love sports, so I play soccer a lot. So mm-hmm. I play soccer year-round on, on two teams. So I enjoy that aspect of my life. Um, I enjoy just hanging out with friends. I'm really close with my family, so making sure that I, I spend that time. And making sure I just spend, have a good balance between work, mm-hmm. work and life, for sure. So for young individuals that are just starting up their careers, I guess including myself as well, how, what advice could you have for us in order to actually create that balance and to, to make our life a little bit less work heavy, perhaps, and, and be able to create that balance. Just have fun. I think people forget that like you just gotta have fun once in a while, and whether or not that you can have fun by going 15 minutes for coffee with someone that you you don't know at work or don't know that well at work, or um, going out after work or trying something new, or just having fun, and also like having fun with the people that you work with, or mm-hmm. the patients or clients or residents that you serve. Yeah. Um, having a sense of humor with them and just not taking everything so seriously. Um, I always try and think of, you know, every time they have to interact with a service provider, they have to talk about things that aren't going well in their life. Mm -hmm. And I think we forget to talk about the things that are going well or the things, their goals, their dreams, their interests, um, and kind of connecting those two together. So, um, yeah, just having fun and and kind of creating those opportunities to get to know people a little Mm -hmm. bit better. And, you know, that actually really resonates with me because I think if we create that sense of, of, of having fun with our, even with our patients, our clients, not only is it going to help them feel connected and feel like they're part of the family, it is going to create that same community that you discussed before. Because mm-hmm. that's, it's going to create that community within the community where they know where they can come here for support. They can come here to talk about their things that are going wrong, but things that are going well as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I, I have no further questions for you. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today, Amy. Um, and yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks again for joining us. Amy's passion is truly inspiring as she continues to serve those that need it the most. She teaches us that no matter what history, addictions, or mental health issues you may have, everybody deserves to be treated like a human being. I can really resonate with her advice to not view marginalized population as homeless, sick, or repulsive. With some respect, time, and attention, we can help those that struggle with daily necessities of life.